This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Dory 1, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to Military Veteran Dad, episode 69. It's hard to believe we are inching closer and closer to episode 100. It's going to be a surreal moment when I reach that pivot because that is going to be one big mountain that I've climbed and is the first big monument that most podcasters climb to. And I'm just excited to do it along with you. And if this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. I appreciate it. I know you have choices where you live to listen to podcasts and I'm awesome and appreciative that you chose this podcast. If this is a, you're a longtime listener, thank you for your continuing support. Your support means the world to me. As we go through coronavirus, I want to remind everyone out there to try to find a way to grow through this. Find something that you can do to make this something that improves you as big as, as a step that you can handle. Whether you have more time, maybe you've lost your job, whatever you do, this is an opportunity for growth. And I've said it a thousand times now as I've talked to people over the last few weeks. There's only one way through coronavirus, and that is to grow through it. And if you've been following me, I've been talking about here and there that I have started a 75 hard challenge. That 75 hard challenge, as of today, April 13th, I am on day 20. And I can already feel the transformation. I can already feel the discipline. And I can already feel the consistency that comes with doing five things for five days or for 20 days and continuing on that long road up to day 75. But there is no going back. There's no going back to day one. There's only one way forward, and that's to day 75. So I'm excited to report to you guys when I reach that and to give you a full report on what 75 Hard did for me. If you want to check out more of that, Andy Versella's podcast can be found at 75hard.com. He did about two episodes on this that explained the whole thing, and he also breaks down the overall process and gives you the basic steps, which is not that hard. So getting started today with today's episode, we kind of have an interesting one. We have the former executive vice president of operations for the Walt Disney World Resort. Lee Cockrell, as a senior operation executive for 10 years, Lee led a team of 40,000 cast members. It's an interesting note, they call them cast members, not employees, because everybody is part of the show. And was responsible for the operations of 20 resorts, four theme parks, two water parks, and a shopping entertainment village, and the ESPN Sports and Recreation Complex, in addition to the ex- and ancillary operations which supported the number one vacation destination in the world. One of Lee's major accomplishments and lasting legacies was the creation of the Disney Great Leadership Strategies, which was used to train and develop the 7,000 leaders at Walt Disney World Resort. 
Lee has an amazing story. He's done USO tours in Iraq. He has a veteran of himself. He suffered through depression and anxiety and growing up with kind of an imposter syndrome and trying to prove himself and really had to do a whole bunch of growing to take what happened to him, make it happen for him in his life. And to go from the story that where he came from to where the point where he was the one known for helping create the Disney magic that creates the Walt Disney Resort today, that is an amazing story. And I'm excited to bring it to you because it came to us because I randomly ran into him at a booth in PodFest in Orlando a few weeks ago before the world got crazy and normal was canceled. And we just talk about life and his perspective is something we don't often get that you're he's at the toward the the wiser of his life. And he's able to reflect back and just look at the different ways that his lessons as being a dad, his lessons of being a grandfather, his lessons in marriage, what really mattered, what really didn't, and how he's been able to gift that wisdom to other people in his life and the different institutes that he talks to. He has he does public speaking, he has multiple books. The man knows his stuff, but he knows it through trials and errors of his own life. And I'm really excited to bring you this interview. So without further ado, let's introduce Lee Cockerell. Good morning, Lee. Welcome to the podcast. Hey there. Good to be with you. Thank you. I am excited for this interview. More excited just the randomness of how this podcast interview happened of me standing at a booth where you were randomly coming up to to find someone that wasn't actually there yet. And then we, I found out what you're doing. I was just super excited by that idea. And this is one of the coolest parts about podcasting is because you get to talk to amazing people like yourself and that access, I mean, podcast is one of the very few mediums that allows for a lot of those in-depth connections that happen with people at different levels of, of interest within society and what they've done. Like it's, it's a beautiful tool. And I'm, I'm sure as a podcast yourself, podcaster yourself, you know that you can get connect with amazing conversations as well. Yeah. I like that part of it too, meeting people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's 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 the best part of podcasting, I think, because meeting people is something we've lost touch with in the last 15, 20 years. And podcasting provides that intimate depth to the, the, the humanism that people miss by having those one-to-one conversations that you don't get on a phone, you don't get from Facebook. And uh, hopefully it sparks enough conversation or interest that they take that into the real world. Yeah, I agree. Good deal. So one thing when I was researching what I wanted to talk about with you was at Walt Disney World, you, I'm not sure what the culture was before you got in, but I'd like to talk about how you made family a priority within the Walt Disney culture. Was it a priority in the way that it was after you left before you started? Oh, I think back, you know, I came, I joined Disney in 1990 and we were just coming out of the eighties where most corporate cultures were pretty much, uh, uh, do what we tell you. <laughs> Don't. We're not interested in your opinion. Uh, leadership met two or three people that make all the decisions, and mm-hmm. it was pretty autocratic back in those days. And uh, I'd just come out of Marriott, where uh, really quite a family environment, where they really wanted you to have two days off a week. Uh, they worked with you on issues if you had a family issue, uh, and uh, so we started working on that at Disney and uh, trying to make it. Uh, uh, a place where everybody felt like they could have a whole life, uh, a total life. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, stress and a, a lot going on in Walt Disney World. It's open all the time. Uh, we got all those hotels and uh, 
Disney Springs and four parks. And so uh, the pressure is always on. And the, the other part of the pressure is the same as probably is in the military. We want to be great. We want to mm-hmm. be the best. When you want to be the best, it makes it even more effort and more pressure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, we worked on it. We started clarifying what leadership meant, that it meant more about uh, taking care of your folks and uh, less about all about you. And uh, and I think that was true in the military, too. Uh, the officers, I think, really learn and know. And uh, uh, sergeants, and they, when they list of people come in, that uh, deep down they've got to take care of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when you get into the battle that people are committed, they're, yeah. they're with you, they trust you. <laughs> and that's why the, the DOD spends so much money on family readiness, because they know if your family's not taken care of when you're back, your head's not in the game when you're in war. Absolutely. You can't be worrying about something else when you're focused on something, a mission. And, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so it's all connected. And I believe uh, if your family's in good shape and you're happy at home, uh, you do a better job yeah. and you're more focused and uh, you have a better attitude and, and you're nicer to people. And because uh, once anxiety sets in, as you know, in the military, anxiety and depression can create uh, an absence of paying attention mm-hmm. uh, to the things that really matter, including yourself. Uh, yep. and, uh, so, yeah, it, life is a balance. you got to get it as right as you can. And uh, a lot of times the stress of life, and certainly in the military, uh, causes you to lose sight of that. And I think your podcast is a good idea because it brings back, uh, let's get refocused on what's really important. Uh, and it's probably... You know, when I was early out in my career, I thought most important thing was my title. And if I could I get a company car one day and stock options and salary and blah. And I wrote a book, Career Magic, and I put it there. I said I chased magic around the world and I finally found out it was my health and my family. So it took me a while. You, t- you wrote a blog post maybe almost 10 years now, I think, if I remember the date on it, about a CEO that was given a speech that completely almost like cratered your world because he talked about the one thing that he wished he did more of, which was family. Can you go back to that moment and what that transition was well, like when actually, you first I was had work, that I was, I was working with some generals uh, that were at Walt Disney World. The chief of staff of the Army had brought them there for uh, leadership training for a week. They do that because Central Command is over in Tampa. So there was about 15 maybe one-star, two-star generals there, and different companies were speaking to them. I did, American Express, all kinds of different people, giving them perspective and a point of view on different ways of leadership and management and how to think about things. And uh, I talked about my life and what I'd been through and how I'd managed it and taken care of it and what was important. And one of the generals came up to me afterwards. uh, I don't know if this is a story you're thinking about, but he told me, he said, I think I really screwed up my life. I don't think I paid enough attention to my child. I don't think I paid attention to my son. We don't have the strongest, best relationship right now because I was absent and not paying attention. And certainly you can be absent, but you can still be there. And uh, I think a lot of people think just because you're out of the country or you're uh, off working double days and uh, have a lot of stress and pressure that you can't stay connected. And, you know, so much people think, 
think about, well, I don't spend enough time with my kids. Well, it's probably more important how you spend the time with them when you have some time that you mm-hmm. focus on them. You take them out to the park. You uh, go to their school event if you can. You Today with technology, there's no excuse for not checking in and telling them hey, you love them and telling them good night. And uh, uh, kids, uh, you know, I had that same issue at Marriott. And uh, I was traveling five days a week and I'd come home. My son was young. and But uh, when I was traveling, every single night I talked to him. I talked to him about what was going on in his life. You know, and about the time they become 12 or 13, they don't care about you anyway. <laughs> so it's those early days of collecting and they want to talk to the dad. We got all this ability to do that today with technology. So it's even less of an excuse than we could have had back in the day when we didn't have cell phones and that kind of connection. So uh, you had to pay the hotel's long distance bill. Yeah. Well, that's true. And uh, I just made a point of having uh, the right uh, thinking about that because I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional family. My mother was married five times. I was adopted twice. I got a name Cocker when I was 16. I dropped out of college because I wasn't a good student. So I had a lot of insecurities and I just, you had a lot of reasons not to be successful. (laughs) Exactly. And I did not, want that to translate into my son and today when I give a speech and I tell what I just told you about mine my son says well I grew up and I had no problems <laughs> he said so I don't have any excuses for anything I just can tell you that I had a good uh, relationship with my dad and he was always there and I'm totally normal why he may be screwed up but <laughs> <laughs> I say after all that I'm totally normal not really <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know you can decide to change it. It's a decision, you know, whether it's abuse or alcohol or drugs or, or divorce or all these things that get in our way when we're uh, kind of messed up from the way we were raised or insecurities or in not believing in ourselves, uh, low self-esteem. Is there a particular story or an event from your past that you continued to use throughout your life as almost like a tool versus an obstacle? Oh, yeah. You know, I first 10 years of my career, I was pretty I was pretty tough. I didn't know much about leadership. I just I was insecure. So I wanted to get ahead. So I just kind of abused my authority and made people do things. And I didn't care much about it. But I went through some events where I started to change. I started going to seminars. I started reading more. I started looking at leaders I really had a lot of respect for that made be comfortable. I trusted them. And I started to, I had to have a good conversation by myself because, uh, you know, we don't usually see ourselves the way we are as much as people see us the way we are. And um, I would think as I went through that, I really became, had much more empathy for people. I really, uh, maybe to an excess, sometimes I would really work with somebody over and over and over again, try to get them to turn around. Uh, you know, I tell people today, in my opinion, if you can have empathy and discipline, you can be pretty successful at home and at work. You got to have the empathy to understand and tell that little six-year-old that he's got to go in time out and uh, I love you. And then you got to have the discipline to do it. So they, you know, somebody told me when you're disciplining the six or seven or eight-year-old, you're actually, you're disciplining the 25-year-old you want them to be. And, uh, so that's uh, empathy. Yes, my mother. A mother's always had a lot of empathy. I think generally they, you know, they tell you to, they kick your butt in the morning, and then they tell you they love you. And then mm-hmm. that, at night, 
they, they do both. And nobody, you know, if you had a great mother, you learned, you saw empathy and discipline in action. Yeah. I always tell people when you got problems, call your mom. She'll tell you what to do. <laughs> I like your story because I think there's a lot that runs uh, with military dads for where I think in those early days, you probably felt on the inside, maybe like a little bit broken, like not finished or a little bit uh, dysfunctional. And so on the outside, you had to try to keep up this uh, facade. But then as you grow through that, you realize that's, that's actually not who you're coming across. You're coming across as someone that people don't even really like. And you have to do that inner work. And a lot of veterans suffer from that, from either PTSD or war, that they have these scars on the inside that they try to hide on the outside. But those two worlds don't coexist in a way that actually produces a positive result that you actually want in your life. Did you see that some similar okay. thing? Well, absolutely. I was the perfect guy. Nothing bothered Lee. He could take all the stress. Uh, I never got upset. I never raised my voice. I was perfect. And then I went through a tough situation with my wife almost dying, and I ended up with anxiety and depression. Uh, I still take medication from that. It triggered it. Hey there, young man. Hey. Hi. Nope. Hi. <laughs> He's too sad. <laughs> there you go. Life happens on the dad podcast. Empathy and discipline. <laughs> yes. And patience, which isn't something and he practices Patience well. is a big one. Yes. Yeah. But so, uh, you know, as a, uh, you just got to figure out that uh, if you're in a leadership position, and I tell everybody today, you're a leader wherever you are at every point in your life. <laughs> it's really not about are you a sergeant, are you a general, or are you a that role modeling and that influence you have on other people around you is so big. I tell people, don't underestimate the influence. If you're positive, you may be helping somebody a lot, or if you are listen to them, or uh, mm -hmm. I think we all underestimate the impact we can have on other people. I do that often a lot. I've almost, I've become so vulnerable over the years just through podcasting and being around great people. I don't even really realize it when I'm doing it. And so when someone like gets awestruck by something I said, I, it almost like takes me back a little bit because I, I don't recognize that as a vulnerable story anymore because I've repeated it so many times. It's just part of who I am. But it is. I mean, you talk about role modeling, your kids are, you're the most, you and your wife are the most important people in their life, mm -hmm. you know? And when I was in the army, you know, I, I had some sergeants that I, were good and some that were better. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I hear I was at 20 years old and insecure and, you know, basic training is pretty rough for when your mother's not there. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, I learned to, I really needed to be, if I could be use, still be disciplined, that's important. You got to run an organization. You got people got to rules. You got to do things right. But also have the empathy to understand who they are, where they're coming from. How can I help them be better? And, uh, but I can tell you when I went through the anxiety and depression, uh, uh, the thing that got me through it was my family was there and they were helping me and being there. And, and, uh, so you, you really want to keep that family structure as strong as you can. I can imagine a lot of people right now, uh, living alone, going through this whole, uh, situation we're going through with this virus and nobody at home. And, uh, as my wife said last night, our internet went out. <laughs> so now, now it's just her and I. We don't can't even go to our phones, we, you know. And, but being alone is uh, that's that can that's why people really need to try to keep friendships and uh, 
help each other and uh, because there's a time if you haven't had a tragedy in your life yet don't worry it's coming yeah <laughs> and i always like to talk about on the podcast about like how ptsd a lot of like a lot of what happens in war is just accelerated growth like you just learn how to grow up a lot and you learn a lot of lessons that you might not learn for 30 years and it's just about trying to figure out how you can use those tools and those experiences bad or good and try to help as many people especially your kids like there's so many different things that happen in military life that if you can instill 25 percent of those into your kids you will create that much stronger of an adult something we talk about in the podcast i'm interested to see your take on it is legacy and that legacy is our family and it's something I didn't start when I created the podcast, but it's definitely, it's now part of my logo that our legacy is our family. What have you kind of, and I'm sure the legacy of the, of your is just, because now you have the time of time through your kids. Like what are your sons and you have three, the two, two twins, daughters and a son, right? No, I have actually, um, my wife and I got married early. Yeah. We were very young. So we grew up with our son. We have one son and three grandkids. Okay. And, uh, the, the grandkids are already 24, 21, and 19. They grew up, you know, they were like our kids when they were growing up. They lived next door down the street, and we had a huge impact on their life. In fact, uh, I tell people jokingly, my grandkids like me better than their parents. So uh, we, uh, we have a very strong family structure. We look after each other. My granddaughter FaceTimes her grandmother a couple of times a week because she trusts her and want to talk to her. And when she's upset, she calls her grandmother. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah. Are there a few words that you think about would, when you think of your legacy? That you think of what people remember your family name by? Well, I, we hear it a lot from people who write to us because I have so much exposure on podcasts and books and things and now uh, you know, my wife and i've been married 51 years and that's that hits people right between the eyes they go oh my god really and and i've got a 50 year old son i said where'd he come from you know time goes by fast and i got these grandkids that are out of college already i could be a great grandfather any minute i guess and uh, people are pretty uh, amazed that i was able to handle my career my dysfunctional family life early on and uh, still today, and, and I grew, that, that's the thing. I, I was not this person 25, 30 years ago. I, I'm totally different than I was. Uh, so that's what I tell people. You're not who you're going to be. Yeah. Uh, that's like a leadership and, policy uh, that you, you actually that. can stop learning when you leave college. Like that never really oh, stops. And yeah. as a leader, you're not done till you're dead. <laughs> well, it's true. And I, if you're around a lot of military officers, uh, I'll tell you that it's always changing. Uh, you know, the weapons are changing, the enemy's changing, the strategy's changing. You've got to keep learning, using technology, using making sure you're you've got the right experts around you to advise you. And that's in real life, too. I mean, one of my best advisors, my wife, because I'm kind of, uh, I take too many risks sometimes and she freaks <laughs> me out. And uh, I mean, probably if it wasn't for her, I'd probably be out having a meeting with somebody right now when I'm supposed to be in my house locked in because the governor said so. She said, we're going to follow this. We're not, we're going to be the, we're going to set the example. We're not going to go do it. And so, yeah, it's just, but I know my legacy is today. I would say most my grandkids, uh, I want people to say I was a teacher. They learned from me. That's what I want. I don't want people to say Lee was a jerk, a boss, and he pushed mm -hmm. us around and didn't treat us right and didn't understand what we were trying to achieve. I really focus on that really heavily. That because people have so many problems you don't even know about. 
I mean, in our workforce at Disney and Marriott Hilton, those a lot of those people are living on the edge. Mm-hmm. I mean, financially, emotionally, uh, maybe three kids at home, no father there. I mean, when they come into work, we want the sun to shine for them. I want them to want to come in, not have to come in. And uh, uh, showing respect and treating people. I don't care who it is. Everybody wants to matter. Everybody wants to matter. And that's mm-hmm. our job to make sure they know they matter. Even the introverts, uh, the weirdos, <laughs> the people that are screwed up. We got to bring, you can bring people around. You Significance is a powerful emotion when you learn how to, to wield it and gift it as well as a leader. It's amazing. As my wife said, if you love me, tell me. So everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to matter. Everybody wants to. And the best thing we can do is pay attention to that and think about who are you going to make matter today? Who are you going to make feel better about their life? Who are you mm-hmm. going to reach out to? Talk to your parents as often as you can, your grandparents, because uh, they need that little boost too. And yeah. uh, your friends. I'm sure you have friends that are probably suffering from anxiety, depression, um, uh, a little note, a card, uh, say, just saying hello. And those little things matter. I've had a lot of people check in with me this week. Just, Lee, how you doing? Are you okay? I think they think I died because I'm so old, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't. And uh, those little things matter. I mean, they, you know, we think, do they matter? Yeah, they matter. And yeah. you don't even know the stress your kids might be under because they're, they, they know when things are not going on right. You know, kids during 9-11, kids knew what was going on, even though we didn't turn the TV on. Mm-hmm. They were affected by it. They could see adults changing, adults being insecure, adults arguing. Uh, you mm-hmm. got to be careful. You send out a message. And, yeah, uh, you're speaking watching. even when you're not speaking is what I've learned. Sure, they're watching you and your wife, and they watch what you say to each other, what you say to somebody on the phone, and and they, they come to you for comfort. And uh, I I want people to come to me if I can help them because I feel I'm I'm this I'm not having any stress over this the thing we're in right now. But we've only been in it a week, really, here in Orlando, Florida. But uh, I have been there in my life, and uh, I know, but. Boy, it's a dark, dark place. It's a place nobody should want to ever go. Yeah. And uh, so uh, when it first hit, I was uh, full of admittedly, I was in caveman mode. I was in primal fear, protecting my family. Because at that point, everybody was panicking around me. So I'm like, I don't feel like I'm panicking. So does it mean I should be because everybody else is? As I don't go out and buy a bunch of toilet paper. Does that make me a bad father that I, my family will, will run out two weeks from now because I wasn't crazy and fanatic with my Little paper purchases when everybody was going crazy over it, and well, you know a lot of it. That. You know what a, a lot of it is. I think that I, when I was your age, overreacted sometimes because I just didn't have the I didn't have the experience. You don't have that wisdom, a depth of understanding how the life just keeps going. No. I tell people the three most important things probably are besides uh, uh, discipline and empathy are probably sure education. You got to know what you're doing, but exposure and experience. Those are things that really grow you inside. Every time you have an experience, it prepares you for something down the road. And that's a PTSD thing that a lot of that is it's just preparing you for something you don't understand what that's for and or making you ready for something. And this is a point that I nail with every military dad, that we have a view that only 7% of the population has any idea. We have a view of the world, an experience, a connection, a depth that very few Americans have. Because we have traveled, we've seen things that most Americans don't even fathom. That's why they're so eagerly to thank us for our service because they don't understand. And if we can gift that depth and that wisdom, or even just let our kids, like 
something I want this podcast to be able to do is create, allow our family to travel internationally. Like a perfect scenario is when my wife's a school teacher and in the summer, I just want to travel the world for two weeks or two months and come back when school starts. Like I just want to be ex- exposing my kids to as much of life as possible. Cause I have this theory at this point, maybe you can prove whether it's uh, true or not, but the, uh, that if you expose your kids to more of the world, they'll figure out how they fit into the world and then how they can go help change it. But you can't get that from 12 years of school, doing the same thing, never going on a family vacation, never leaving your state. Kids need to get outside of their life to figure out how they fit into life. Absolutely. And I always tell people, get out of your village. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I lived in Oklahoma in a little village and I had, you know, I was probably a potential racist and a potential bigot. But I left, went in the Army, went to Washington, D.C., New York, L.A., uh, lived in France for three years. Uh, I've been to 45 countries now. Uh, I see the world a little different. I mm-hmm. can never go back. That's what, that's what it, exposure does for your kids. I mean, and even, even if you're not traveling internationally, you have to expose them to other people and other things and different kinds of camps and uh, different kinds of restaurants and meeting people from other places and having kind of like the experiencing the Epcot center where you just get <laughs> exactly. so much diversity in yeah. one area. And yeah. I mean, that is probably the most diversity some Americans see their entire life. <laughs> it probably is. Which yeah. isn't good, but <laughs> at least it's yeah. something. And uh, the China pavilion looks a little different than China. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've always liked saying that it's important for my kids to like someday I want to go to India. I use India as an example, uh, but like to see a kid that has nothing with a smile on his face. Because there's so much of American, it, it, like, that comes from that your happiness doesn't come from your iPhone or Instagram followers or that number that says how many people care what you post. It comes from what you have on the inside. And if you can be happy with nothing, well, then the world's your oyster. Like, that's, I mean, you literally can go out and do anything because it's almost that like you're at no expectations because you're able to be happy without anything in your life that everybody else has to have. Uh-huh. You too. You do adjust to your situation and can find happen. I've been to India and uh, uh, you see lots of little kids running around smiling. And Yeah. And they've got no idea what they're missing out on, but they're just as happy as they've never known in the, in the world that, that exists. Well, I didn't have indoor plumbing when I was growing up on the farm and my brother and I didn't know that was a problem. <laughs> we thought it was normal. Yeah. We said we, we didn't know we were hot till we went to somebody's house that had air conditioning. So uh, then we got hot, and then we were hot all the time. So you got to be careful what you get exposed to. Uh, what year were you born? Were you, did you grow up in the Depression or just after it? No, no, 44 I was born. So, uh, uh, but, uh, you know. Your childhood was really the peak of the 50s and the, the peak of the, uh, oh, the American man. I, dream. I was there when Elvis Presley showed up, man. I was dancing <laughs> in the garage. And your mom was like, what is that music? Yeah, the Baptists didn't like that too much. Uh, <laughs> we we found a way to hide from them. And uh, yeah. So yeah, I grew up and and so I think exposure is the main thing that made me who I am because I uh, saw so many different parts of life. And and the other thing is I started figuring out that I was I needed to get with it. So, so I started going to seminars, reading, uh, paying attention more to managers and leadership. And I was lucky to fall in the hotel business. I liked it. It was a lot of fun. People were from everywhere. I worked in Washington, D.C. People are from every country. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tell what country just had a war by the who's, what 
what who's driving the taxis in town <laughs> you know they've all immigrated and yeah. uh you'd never see that where i grew up i mean it was like i didn't even know some of these places were countries i had to look them up i said what i've never heard of that was that something that you created within disney's culture of adding depth to an employee so that they understood because you had a lot of international visitors at, at walt disney so to be able oh, to yeah. empathize with all those how do you was that something we you trained for or, or yeah we have a traditions course they all go through it in the beginning we have a lot of clarity around who's coming people from 150 different countries employees cast members are from every country in the world working there uh, we have the international program um, so all these college and young people live together in housing so my you know my son's a roommate when he was on the college pro back program back in the 80s was from japan one was from china he was there doing that when they had the issue uh, in China and uh, Red Square there. What I forget what it was called. Uh, Tiananmen Square. Yeah, Tiananmen. His roommate was from there. He learned so much about, you know, his roommate made his own food every day. He didn't like American food. He put it in Tupperware, took it to the cafeteria yeah. and heated. I mean, uh, those exposures, they, they were exposed to. So the people who work at Disney, uh, if you don't like diversity and inclusiveness, you're not going to be happy there. <laughs> it sounds like it has a lot of the recipes for what we need in American society. Uh, it, does. <laughs> it does. In fact, uh, uh, yeah, people who are gay and uh, they will tell you, and they told me many times, Disney World was 10 times better than back at home and back in college because we don't really care. Mm -hmm. All we care about is can you do the job? Yeah, and how big is your heart? You care less where you're from, where you grew up, what language you speak. That's none of my business anyway. And so I would say a lot of people, professors tell us they send us introverts and we send them back extroverts. I like that. That's, that's good. If you're at Disney for six months, you're going to change. And they always tell me, I, I apologize to the parents. I say, I'm sorry, but your kids are not going to come back home. <laughs> they'll never come home after they work here. Yeah. You know? because you can't and uh some parents are happy and some are not and the kids like the marine corps i grew up and i was not the same innocent farm boy that uh because i grew up on a farm in wisconsin here as well and uh just i went i came back a completely different person and i remember the look at my dad's face at graduation and like i was a lot taller i was more confident <laughs> None of that. I was. Le I would have been least likely avoided to join the Marine Corps. So the idea that I did it and came through and got to the other side, like it's it's a transformation in itself. And it sounds like that's what Disney's able to create as well. And you have to wonder, like besides, and I think, the, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think college does that. Anytime you get away, even going away to summer camp. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my grandkids would go to a summer camp in West Virginia and there were kids coming there from Russia. Parents that had money were sending their kids over there from all these different countries. And I mean, it was an amazing thing when they came home, mm -hmm. uh, what they had learned and their new friends. And yeah. So, uh, any kind of exposure you can get outside, uh, your own little world is, that's a good thing. When we talked yeah. at the PodFest, you had mentioned that you did some USO tours to Iraq and Afghanistan, right? Yeah, well, I met General Austin. He was the commanding general for U.S. troops in, in Iraq. Uh, and uh, I met him way back 20 years earlier when I was at, they were at Disney, <laughs> getting that training. He became a four-star and he had me go to all the bases all, all over the U.S. And he asked me to come to Iraq and uh, I did. And I went, flew to Kuwait. He picked me up in his plane 
Uh, actually, I had a one-star general pick me up. <laughs> that was pretty impressive. Yeah. I was going, wow. I was I was a private in the army, so I, I was like intimidated. And uh, so uh, yeah, flew to Baghdad, and then they assigned me a helicopter with two gunners, a security officer, and a medic. And I traveled all over Iraq for eight days, and I did thirteen seminars for the. Talked about anxiety, depression. Talked about how to get back in the workforce when you get out of the military, uh, the things that are important. And yeah, it was fabulous. I mean, what was I, the message on anxiety and depression? I'm interested to hear. Well, first, I here's this guy. They introduced Lee Cockrell, the executive vice president of Walt Disney, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, who the hell is this guy to tell us anything? I tell them that story of what I went through and anxiety and depression. And I'd never had it before. And it was uh, personal. It was uh, around worrying about my wife. And I didn't even want to see my grandkids. I cared about nothing. I was I just cared about nothing. And uh, that story resonated with them that this can happen to them. And I told them what I did about it. I, you know, listen, I got a psychologist. I got a psychiatrist. I did. I got did meditation every morning online. I saw I got acupuncture on Wednesdays. I worked out every day in the afternoon because that relieved a lot of the stress. Uh, I took I took on anything. I canceled all my work for a week, uh, for a year. I mean, so I could just focus on getting better, getting healthier, because I was, you know, you can't sleep, and then when you can't sleep, life goes downhill quicker. And uh, I got I was taking Xanax and stuff like that. I had to work my way off of the drugs because that's the worst thing that can happen. Because you really look forward to taking that pill, mm-hmm. and next thing you know. Uh, you want that pill. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so I worked my way off of that. And I told them how I did that and uh, how I got help that I told people, I told everybody around me, I, Hey, I'm suffering from anxiety and depression. I want them to know. I didn't want to try to hide that too, because that's even like, okay, I got enough already. Problem. I don't need to be hiding that from people. Yeah. And, uh, so I just, I think they saw some good things. They're all young mainly. And, uh, said, oh, okay, maybe these are some things I can do. And I see more military people are speaking up now and uh, officers too about the issue. Especially now with the rise in suicide. I'm sure it's even it's worse than it was when you were, were doing your travel over there. And I love what you talk about there, that sharing your story, because it's the power of vulnerability that when you go first, you give someone permission to go second. And that's often what people are waiting for a lot of times when they're in that fear mode of sharing or admitting that they need someone else to cancel out that crap thought in their head that they're the only one suffering from this feeling. And then especially once that, men. yeah. Especially men. And uh, I hear from a lot of people after that, I'll get an e- email from them or talk about it or want to know more about what I was doing or what doctor I used or, uh, yeah. They asked me about talk therapy. I said, forget that, <laughs> get the drugs. Mm-hmm. I mean, man, talk therapy could take the rest of your life. And, uh, it's a chemical in your brain and it needs to be resolved. And uh, it took me a long time to get over it. And I worry now about, I tell my grandkids and my whole family to behave. I said, if you guys get in trouble or do something bad, it's going to make me get depressed again. So you, your life, my life is in your hands, behave yourselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, you know, it's, it's always personal things. It's not the business, you know, it's personal, mm-hmm. it's personal depression. And, uh, and that's something as you, uh, I, when I was studying your story that I've always resonated with that, um, as I move into public speaking now on fatherhood, that I have this, I, this kind of like tagline that I'm using that a more connected parent at home creates a more connected employee at work. 
And a lot of times those aren't talked about. People focus on the silo of the company to try to fix engagement and energy and teamwork, but never really address of what people bring home or the burden that they carry home. And like when you're at home, you're thinking about work. And when you're at home, you're thinking about home. And yeah. that just, it's a crux that no one talks about. And it's um, my mission now to talk about as much as possible because you can't fix one without really fixing the other because it's that family component is what fuels everything. And if you don't acknowledge that you're, you're just, you're missing out on a whole bunch of the potential of what you can do as an organization. Well, you can tell them you only have one life, so you better figure it out because mm-hmm. you don't have two life. You don't have a business life and a personal life. You have one life. And mm-hmm. uh, sometimes people say they have two calendars. I said, no, one calendar. You only have one life. <laughs> so, yeah. And it, it, it's, it, that part, even the word, the hardest part about the military is it's a noble sacrifice that people yeah. understand what you're sacrificing for. But then it also yeah. also becomes like a drug that makes it easy to hide because no one's really going to call you out for serving too much. And uh, right. if you don't self-regulate that within your own family, I, I talked about when families deploy or dads deploy that you're borrowing time like a credit card and there's interest with that. And you've got to pay it back the balance and the interest in full before you can borrow again because that credit card only has so much balance and eventually if you don't pay it back it goes bankrupt and and next thing you know your life explodes and if you're on the, the wrong side of all this then you convince yourself that your family's better without you well it's true you know and a lot of people do exactly the same thing in business life i mean they sacrifice it for the company and their marriage falls apart and then their health falls apart and uh, you know, everything goes downhill. I mean, it. I think you're right. Just keep telling them it's connected. Everything is connected. You can't disconnect. Uh, and frankly, the responsibility you have to your family. I mean, yep. you got married, you had children. You know how that happened, right? <laughs> so yep. you got to take care of And I think something you can test by having 51 years of marriage is the priority <laughs> of your your wife within this. So like, She's the commitment to the end of time. That your time in this yeah. earth is the commitment that's always there. And if you don't prioritize things in life with that order, your kids are eventually going to leave and you're going to have a stranger that you don't know. And you're most likely going to get a divorce because you prioritize in a way that your kids were important or your kids were the important part and your spouse was the back burner. Well, and my wife's father was in the Navy for 32 years and uh, he. Uh, he was deployed to the South Pacific, and he was all. I mean, she she knew what it was like. I mean, so I was lucky. I had somebody who had been through moving around, moving all the time, having to make new friends. Mm. Dad, she had empathy for the situation. Yeah. So, yeah, lot to think about there. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's just not talked about enough. Like it's it's just the dark secret of the military that there's always these programs on base and there's always these different outreaches, but there's so much of it that I think comes from like the way America is set up to just kind of focus on work and being the cycle of work and workaholics that (laughs) it almost just keeps you chasing something that doesn't actually ever come to your life or you, you keep thinking you'll reach a point that you'll cross a finish line, but at the same time, you never really cross that finish line. It's just this crutch that keeps repeating itself. And you wake up when you're 40. And I think this is why we have midlife crisis because you wake up at 40 and realize the first part of your life is all backwards and it's over and you don't feel like you've got a chance to live. And it's the, 
and even on the other side of all this coronavirus, I, I hope that part of it, we realize the, what we're missing, not being a connected family and that maybe you notice your kids growing up faster than you really thought they were. And I, it was like the first day we were homeschooling here and my son was counting on his nose. And I never really had noticed that he used his nose to count with his fingers. And I was just like, how cute is that? And I was like, I noticed that moment because he was here and now I noticed it. And it's something I was present for to notice. But so much of life happens in that random click moment that you don't get a chance to to do it. And you better notice your wife more too. Exactly. And figure out what, what that uh, conversation, and my wife being a teacher, her world is getting turned up and figuring out how to support during all of that is something new and challenging. But like you've talked about, it's all about growth and everything. Like this is just a huge, this is like the largest exercise of growth globally since like World War II. And everyone globally is growing at exponential rate that they were never doing before at all levels of people in society. No matter where you are, you're growing at a pace that you never were probably before all this. Yep, that's that's exactly right. As long as you keep uh, a balance about what's happening and don't let it get, a, get away from you and this will be over like everything else. Uh, mm -hmm. the is there something is you're growing through on this? Like, is there anything new that you picked up as a new challenge during the hibernation that you're going to try and learn a new skill or uh, master well, something? Well, I am. My partner and I are working on some new courses. I'm, uh, uh, I'm getting invitations. I have several already lined up to talk to college students online because they're sitting at home and mm -hmm. they still have classes. So I'm doing that. Um, uh, and just uh, my, my wife and I had our workout yesterday with our trainer. He immediately put it online. So we had a two face-to-face -face on the phones and we did our workout right here. Uh, we do strength training and agility and balance training twice a week. And so we didn't miss a beat. Uh, you know, it's an easy time to say I haven't gained a pound. <laughs> I'm That's not good. eating more because I'm not I'm not stressed out, but the exercise helps. I'm reading even more than I did. Um, uh, How are you in the kitchen? I'm a good, I'm a good cook. Uh, I took cooking classes when I lived in Washington over to, at uh, a group that gave cooking classes to all the embassy cooks in Washington. Oh. I, I took them on Sunday afternoon, so I'm pretty handy uh, in the kitchen. My wife likes that. So uh, I'm really, I'm even better at doing dishes. So. Uh, <laughs> I, I did a little MP, you know, KPA in the army. I peeled a lot of potatoes because the potato machines were broken when I was there once. Yeah. I can imagine that, that, uh, all of it is, uh, it's good and it's exciting to, to grow through it. And it's just, a it's an interesting time to, to, to do a lot of uh, self-reflection as well. Well, and you talking to your kids, you have a chance now to really connect deeper than you had before. I mean, I talk, I call my granddaughter. She's sitting at home in her apartment in Boulder because school's out and she's available. So we just have good calls and talk and talk about what's going to do when this is over. And, you know, her, her school has canceled graduation. Because, and she said she went ahead and bought her, her cap and gown anyway because she's going to wear it somewhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she doesn't know where, but that was fun. And she put it on for us and we had a fun day talking about it. Uh -oh. So I mean, there's you know, think think about whether we if we didn't have the internet and television and the phone, we'd all go nuts. Yeah, it would be uh, well. It'd be like if the 
<laughs> it would just be back to like like back in the radio days. It would be essentially the, the the mode where you wouldn't have television. Well, if it was recorded, you could just repeat it. But you still need people to work this broadcast studio. So, oh, I even got that. I didn't. We didn't get a TV till I was in the fifth grade. No. So you, I had an area where we listened to the radio, and I remember that seemed to be okay. <laughs> it was so. It's just what we did. And uh, we played Monopoly. <laughs> we, uh, I don't know, you know, it's just like you adjust to your environment and we all, you don't have any choice really. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I think if you do things on purpose, you'll get a lot out of this. Like if you think about doing certain things on purpose with your kids this week, things just decide what it is and then it tell them we're going to do that together and they'll get excited and then you do it and tell them what day you're going to do it and uh, get them ready and give them something to do to prepare for it, whatever it is. Yeah. I started in the, early in the podcast, something my first thing was uh, reminding every dad that the secret to fatherhood is that the kids spell love T-I-M-E. That at the end of the day, it's not the big stuff. It's not all the fancy trips. It's they just want the gift of your time. Like you can move their mountains for them with 10 minutes and just oh, yeah. playing trains or my three-year-old, we just rolled a ball back on the floor, and she's the happiest kid in the candy store. <laughs> exactly. My grandkids used to come over here. They go in my garage and make a wooden sword. <laughs> that was more, you know. They make a mess, but they made a sword. Mm-hmm. That was their big deal. Or one time we had a big box, and I put them in it. I made an airplane out of it. They had to give me their ticket, and they got in it. And I shook the box for takeoff. I'd shake it. <laughs> they. You know, they Okay, we're taking off now. <laughs> I, I think back about that. We had, those, those things were probably more fun for me, too, because, uh, you know, I mean, it's amazing. They had to make the tickets. We gave them paper and pen. They had to make tickets, and then we had to distribute them. And you had to give your ticket to get in the box. And <laughs> so That'd be a cool could, thing if you could make a sword for your son as, as something through all of this in the garage where yeah, exactly. you, you could figure I, out I a way to make a sword. sword. I, I have a sword right here that those kids made and they leave it here because they are looking for it every time they come to my house. <laughs> and it's and those that, little memories that people use as those anchor core memories when they grow up. Like that's, that's what they're going to remember about grandpa more than that. He worked at Disney even like they'll remember that silly sword that was there. that They always wanted to have. It's true. And uh, so. And that's why it's so important to create those memories. Cause if you don't, yeah. then they just get filled with the crap of the internet. Exactly. Which isn't good. So that's the thing. Think about what you're going to do on purpose this week. Yeah. What are you going to do on purpose tomorrow? <laughs> Not yeah. just by accident. Uh, I like that. I think you actually answered the final question that I like to wrap up with. What advice would you like to leave for other military veteran dads out there? But I don't know if you got another piece of advice you want to leave, but that's pretty good of what you want to do out there on purpose this week with your kids. Yeah, for any any of them. And on purpose, they might want to go see a psychiatrist. And on purpose, they may want to start uh, taking occupant. On purpose, yeah. they may want to uh, have a friend to, to talk to every day. I mean, uh, and sometimes when you're in depression, you need somebody to help you think that through. I yeah, you can't just, think through it on your own. Well, I was so screwed. I'd had friends call me and just came over and sat on the outside by outside here and talk to me. I mean, that was amazing. And, you know, by the way, when you're uh, preoccupied, uh, you're not you don't suffer as much when you're uh, with talking to somebody or even when I'm giving a speech, you know, anxiety. I, I, I was when I was suffering from anxiety and depression, when I'd get up and give a speech, it would all go away. 
that adrenaline was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then an hour after I finished it, you know, it came back in your mind. So distraction is a good thing too. And being with your kids, having fun, yeah. uh, doing distraction is really important to get distract yourself from the worries of the day as best you can. And, uh, and anchoring them in like, uh, the, the positive, like I always like positive psychology is an area to study and how, like focusing on yeah. the positive different parts of outcomes can actually get your brain away from that negative side that you can just keep kind of thinking of that. And the, your mind will start using that as a default. And I like what, what you admitted there. My, psychi- my psychologist told me one thing I could do. He said, every day, Lee, around four o'clock, four thirty, after you do your little workout, I have a stairmaster here. He said, sit on your couch and just worry about everything you want to worry about. Maybe Make a list of it and go down and worry about your finances, worry about, he said, and then when you wake up in the middle of the night, you'll have kind of dealt with it. It'll help you say, okay, when you're rational, because in the middle of the night, you're not rational. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything's 10 times worse. And I thought that was an interesting side. So Settle my account, just worry about my health, worry about depression, worry about my grain. And then because 90% of that stuff wasn't even true. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just like everything became a big deal. Every little thing became a big deal. Yeah. And then when you wake up, that's the worst part. When you wake up, like all of oh, that just kind of hits you at work at, and you got to relive that anxiety every morning and work through it. Yeah. So don't underestimate what you can do. <clears throat> you can do yeah. a lot. Maybe you need help. Maybe you need a friend. Maybe you need some help, but uh, don't sit by yourself. That's all I tell people. Don't sit and try to resolve it by yourself. Mm-hmm. There is, I've always liked Albert Einstein uh, learning about his theories. And he, I, I use one of theirs quite often that, or his, that he theorized that you could time travel if you could bend light back in on itself to the same point. But you can't bend light back in on itself to the same point, which is why you can't really self-reflect on your own crap because you can't fully <laughs> see everything you need to see, which is why you need someone else to be that mirror for you because that's you can't you bend need your a, own light back. That's why you need a wife. <laughs> true which most people don't admit when they get when your wife gives you those hard pieces of advice my, myself included that you reflect back right. a week later and like damn it she was right yeah they get it mm-hmm. they, they, they're trying to to make you better and it you have to go in with that mindset that it's they're not trying to hurt you they're trying to lift you up at the same time and by the way they had the children not you <laughs> <laughs> true <laughs> always that point there in the background <laughs> all right my friend well lee i really appreciate you taking the time on this wednesday to the to, to help a few military dads out and i'm really excited i got to randomly run into you and have this conversation and hopefully this yeah. isn't the only time we ever talk hopefully this is the beginning of a good friendship and uh, i'm excited the next time we talk so if you get too stressed out with your wife give me a call i'll talk you down <laughs> thank you that's a wrap And thank you for listening to today's show, and I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet on iTunes, I would really appreciate it, and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.